0: Welcome to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Events Podcast, where we bring you the audio from our public programs, featuring in-depth analysis of topics on China from scholars, journalists, authors, and policymakers. For more interviews, videos, and links to events like this one, visit us at www.ncuscr.org.
1: Well, we've certainly reached critical mass, so let's start. The um, delighted to have everybody with us today. Uh, for a conversation with four governors to talk about how their respective states have been affected by the downturn in U.S. China relations and how subnational engagement can be used to get the relationship on a more stable footing. Um, I should start by saying, if you don't know me, I'm Steve Orleans and I'm president of the National Committee on U.S. China Relations. Let me start off just by giving you a quick Background as to how this program uh, came together. At the end of this summer, uh, Bob Holden, former governor of Missouri and founder and chair of the United States Heartland China Association, called to discuss the current state of U.S.-China relations and how the Heartland China Association could work with the national committee, could work with the national committee on dealing with these issues. We came to the conclusion that our two organizations should jointly organize a virtual roundtable where former governors could share their concerns. A month later, we held a thoughtful and wide-ranging two-hour discussion with 10 former governors, evenly divided between Republicans and Democrats. We all agreed that it would be important to share their very interesting views with the public. So today, we're gonna to hear from four of those governors who had participated in that meeting. They need no introduction. In fact, if I introduce them, we would have no time for the program, but just to say that they are all incredible public service servants to this country. Bob is chair, as I said before, of the U.S. Heartland China Association, was governor of Missouri from 2001 to 2005. John Huntsman has served as ambassador to Singapore, China, and most recently Russia, and was governor of Utah from 2005 to 2009. He also serves on the board of directors of the National Committee. Gary Locke is currently interim president of Bellevue College. He served as US ambassador to China from 2011 to 2014, and prior to that as secretary of commerce and governor of Washington from 1997 to 2005. He was the first, I should know, Chinese-American to hold, hold all three of those positions. He also serves on the board of the National Committee. And last, but certainly not least, is Rick Snyder, governor of Michigan from 2011 to 2009. During his term, he led eight trade missions to China, which resulted in an exponential increase of Chinese FDI into Michigan. Just for the record, the other governors who participated in our roundtable round, round were Tom Kane of New Jersey, uh, Ronnie Musgrove of Mississippi, Ed Schaefer of North Dakota, Ted Strickland of Ohio, and Tom Vilsack from Iowa. In this program, each of the governors will speak for about five minutes on how the downturn in relations has affected the state. We'll then have a discussion and then take audience discussions. Let me now turn it over to Governor Holden to hear about Missouri and the Heartland region and to thank you, Bob, for co-hosting this event with us.
2: Thank you very much, Steve, uh, for that very kind introduction and Jan and all the staff. I very much uh, appreciate uh, getting together again. Uh, it, uh, I'll, I'll talk about uh, Missouri and, and, the, and the Heartland region and my, our organization, but just kind of give a little bit of background uh, to the audience. Uh, I come from a small rural community, graduating a class of 25 from high school. In fact, I started out in a one-room schoolhouse. Uh, went on to college from there, and then got elected uh, governor of the state of Missouri. While I was governor, I also served as chairman of the Midwest Governors Association. And at that point in time, saw a lot of uh, uh, our manufacturing, particularly in some agriculture, leaving the state of Missouri going overseas. And I started thinking about how Missouri could get reengaged again. And I came to the conclusion that a good opportunity would be for to develop those relationships with China and so I made my first trip to China announced Missouri was gonna have an office in China and from there we, we expanded out and uh, developed some, some very very good contacts uh, I as I said come from the, the heartland uh, of the United States uh, we're, our organization is a 501c3 organization, not for profit, 20 states from the Great Lakes all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. We work with governors, with mayors, with business leaders, with the community leaders, cultural uh, activity, educational institutions. These 20 states, all the way from the Great Lakes to the Gulf, is what we call the heartland of the United States. And I would always tell audiences, if you really want to understand the United States, understand what is going on in the heartland. And I, I still hold true to that today. Our focus is in three areas, working with cultural relationships, educational relationships, uh, and business ties. Uh, today, that Steve asked me to, to touch a little bit on agriculture. What most people probably don't realize of the top 15 states in the United States in terms of agricultural production, 13 of them come out of this heartland region, 13 of the 15. Uh, We are a rural leader in agriculture. Uh, For every $1 billion in sales, that creates over 6,800 new jobs in our our part of the country. Uh, China has been the largest Uh, uh, purchaser of our agricultural products and we want to we want to maintain that and keep it uh, growing Uh, our farm economy our communities uh, depend on a global uh, exchange of uh, uh, product and and uh, money to, to grow and be prosperous in the years ahead it's it really provides the important aspect of our whole economy. It feeds our infrastructure, it supports our colleges and universities, it supports, of course, our businesses. Uh, So we are tied to a global economy and we as a region and as a country, I think, wanna make sure that we build those relationships going forward. Terrific, Bob. Uh, John, give us an
1: overview from the perspective in Utah.
3: Thank you, uh, Steve. It's a pleasure to be with you uh, and the National Committee, and thank you for the good work that you do in bringing people together and promoting greater understanding. I'm delighted to be here with uh, with colleagues, uh, both Republican and, uh, and, and, and Democrat. I think it's important for discussions like this that we get right to the bottom line of the importance of the U.S.-China relationship, which is really uh, based on or should be based on solid people to people ties which uh, are forged through uh, any number of any number uh, number of means but as governor you can't help but reflect on uh, your state's future the future of your state's population and how best to prepare them for the challenges and opportunities going forward and it was very clear uh, after I had been elected governor that uh, China would be a very uh, Uh, important uh, and central part of our economic relationship going forward, our people-to-people, our our educational opportunities going both ways. And uh, I made it a point uh, to identify and work with China in areas where we found um, mutual benefit, uh, where we were able to build bridges that would serve the the needs of uh, future Utahns. so if you stop to conclude that the US-China relationship will uh, really define the last half of the 21st century, we've got a lot of work ahead of us if we're gonna maintain the kind of relationship that allows us both to solve problems, to be honest, uh, in describing what our differences are, uh, but also to engage where we have some natural opportunities to strengthen, strengthen bonds. Um, in Utah, it was pretty, pretty apparent that trade particularly in areas like agriculture uh, and technology, would be a prominent part of our future. Uh, Clearly, uh, the downturn in the relationship will impact our trading opportunities. We've got a lot of farmers and ranchers who have built up market opportunities, who have built bridges between the United States and China. They grow great products, uh, and and they've developed market share. it would be a, a bad thing if, if that was jeopardized going forward uh, based on a deteriorating relationship, but I think we have to prepare for, 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 for any eventuality on the economic side. On tourism, which uh, for those of you who have been to the great state of Utah, you know of its natural beauty, five national parks, uh, and the desire that many people have in all corners of the world uh, to visit this lovely destination. We made tourism a priority. In fact, I went over to China on one trade mission uh, and and actually spoke to some of the leading uh, 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 organizations involved in uh, in tourism. I sold our state, I told them of the lovely destinations and we, we've had an uptick, I'd say in the last 10 to 15 years, uh, 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 in the area of tourism. Why that's important to the people uh, of Utah, and I think to people uh, all over the United States, is there's a very unique economic multiplier effect that exists for every tourist that comes into our state. Not only do they leave with a great appreciation of the American West, having met Americans along the way, but they leave money behind. And that economic multiplier effect is a very important one from a travel and tourism standpoint. And we, we have noticed that the numbers of tourists tourists, not just because of COVID-19, but also because of the uh, nature, the current nature and challenges of the U.S.-China relationship uh, uh, have been diminished. Finally, let me just say that the people-to-people aspect of the relationship is probably the most important aspect to me, uh, and one that we must work very hard to preserve, even during moments of uh, challenge and difficulty. Because it's through people-to-people interaction that we begin to better understand one another. we're able to problem solve in areas uh, based on that uh, understanding. And it keeps us out of trouble. Um, We did a very unique thing in our public schools in Utah when we introduced Mandarin language immersion uh, programs, which today in Utah constitutes the largest such program in the United States. And the reason I felt that that was important is exactly because through language you're able to uh, to better understand and decipher uh, a different culture. And that brings people to closer, to, uh, closer together. So in the years ahead, no doubt, the people to people investment will be absolutely critical uh, in getting toward uh, greater problem solving between the United States uh, and, uh, and China. So just a couple of thoughts there, Steve. Uh, I had a couple of other ideas. Maybe we can hit them later on areas where we can actually work together. So thank you for allowing me to participate. Great, happy to have you, Gary. Well, thanks
4: a lot, uh, Steve, for inviting us, and it's really great to be on the panel again with uh, great friends of mine. And you know, we, we all have different states and have different perspectives, but I think we have a, a common appreciation and, and understanding of the need for job creation, whether it's agricultural, industrial, uh, to services, uh, and, and even tourism. Uh, when I was at the secretary, when I was at the Commerce Department as secretary. We had a motto. The more that we export, the more our companies produce. The more that we produce, the more workers we need. And those are good-paying jobs, whether it's farming, food processing, uh, manufacturing, exports. And tourism, of course, is considered an export. It's really sale of American uh, products and services uh, to foreigners uh, who are... uh, supplying money and paying for those products and services. The transaction may actually occur in America, but it's the same. It's the purchase of American goods, uh, products and services by people outside the United States. Uh, Our state is heavily dependent on trade. One out of every three to four jobs in the state of Washington is directly or indirectly tied to trade, both imports and exports. And certainly over the last several years with the trade war between the United States and China, we have really felt Uh, that drop in exports from our cherries to our apples to our wheat uh, to Boeing airplanes uh, and the list goes on and on Uh, our exports are down almost 65 percent from the pre-trade war uh, levels Uh, and just uh, uh, imports and exports between our ports Uh, involving just not the state of Washington, but but the Pacific Northwest, uh, Oregon and Washington, uh, are down 60% imports and exports. So this is really having a big impact uh, on our jobs here in the state of Washington. Uh, Our ports alone account for uh, some almost, let me see, about 100,000 jobs uh, directly tied uh, in terms of handling cargo in the state of Washington Uh, in just the year uh, 2019 Uh, and uh, that was already with uh, some of the effects of of the trade war. Boeing has not sold an airplane uh, to China at all in the years 2018 and 2019 or even any parts of 2020. That's even before the problems with the MAX 737 and the crashes and and the suspension of orders for that. Uh, While there were no tariffs imposed on Boeing airplanes, uh, it was basically an implicit uh retaliation uh, for the tariffs that the united states imposed on china so um this is very very significant and uh, we need and we were also seeing uh, the drop in international students coming to our colleges and universities uh, part of it is of course the uh, um, and, and most of our international students come from asia uh, and especially china when the embassies are closed, when the the policies are to say that all Chinese students are in effect spies for the Chinese government, even if they're here to study art, uh, literature, uh, that uh, uh, reluctance uh, uh, or animosity toward the students from China is not helping. And of course the COVID-19 environment is hurting international students from all parts of the world when they think that the United States is not a safe place Uh, to be residing in, or certainly not to study. So um, we have very serious problems with the the trade war uh, because it really has not only affected our exports, uh, but it's also raised the cost of doing business uh, for businesses in the state of Washington. Uh, You know, when the components that you are buying from China are now much more expensive due to the trade war, the, the tariffs, that makes the ultimate cost of that product manufactured in the state of Washington or anywhere in the United States, much more expensive. And then it puts those uh, U.S. companies, producers, manufacturers at a competitive disadvantage when they're trying to sell, uh, compete against, let's say, the finished product from China or finished products from elsewhere around the the world. Um, And then, of course, there's a huge impact on on the American consumer. uh, Even before the height of the of the trade war and the tariffs imposed by the administration on Chinese goods. Uh, I think uh, the New York Fed and Wall Street Journal and other publications indicated uh, or estimated that the average impact on American households was about six to $800 more per year uh, for all the various goods uh, and items that they might be buying, whether at Walmart, Target, Nordstrom, Home Depot, you name it. Uh, Uh, The impact of the tariffs was increasing the cost of American goods that families purchase every year. At the same time, we're seeing that uh, uh, the tariffs on on American goods was making products from other parts of the world much cheaper, relatively, in China. So the American product that goes into China with a retaliatory tariff Uh, was making that American product much more expensive compared to, let's say, the French or German or uh, British or Canadian product, uh, and was hurting U.S. companies. Uh, And uh, while many of these countries have similar concerns about the economic and trade policies of China, our going uh, at it alone strategy uh, was actually helping uh, the companies uh, and, and the competitors of American companies uh, but uh, these are foreign competitors, whether they 're in Europe or other parts of the world and so this trade policy of this trade war certainly has affected our jobs here at home, but it has also affected uh, our American consumers and
1: and uh, everyday households. you know Gary if Airbus was selling at the while boeing's you know sales fell off a cliff, was Airbus selling at the same time to China? Uh, they may not have been selling very many, but they're definitely selling because
4: uh, Boeing has not registered a single sale uh, uh, since uh, the
1: beginning of 2018. Right. And, and a, a 65% drop, I assume, a big percentage of that is is Boeing aircraft. A big part
4: is Boeing airplanes, but also uh, our agricultural goods. Uh, we were actually shipping fresh cherries <laughs> uh, to China. Uh, and these are all pre ordered uh, items and so there was no spoilage and the farmers were doing quite well actually 747 cargo loads mini plane loads of fresh cherries uh, going to China all of that virtually eliminated. Wow. Governor Snyder.
0: It's great to be with you, Steve, and my uh, colleagues and uh, people watching this. So let me share a few thoughts uh, from a Michigan perspective and and a couple things that we kind of specialize in our state, particularly on the manufacturing front. Um, Given a little background, as 2008 to 2010 was a depression in Michigan, where it was a recession in most of the rest of the country. We lost more jobs than any other state. And that's what drove me to run for governor was to reinvent Michigan and to say we had to do things a new and different way and I was fortunate enough to get elected so the role was is how do you bring back jobs to a state we were 50 out of 50 for job creation and we got back to being a top 10 state uh, in that time frame and one of the key ways to do it was to uh, go to China is to recognize we're part of a global economy we're in manufacturing powerhouse We're actually very strong in agricultural products. We're the second most diverse agricultural state in the nation. Um, And to do that, you have to trade. And so it was important to me to go to China, which politically was something that most people looked down on originally because with the manufacturing job loss, many people blamed China for that where the greatest cause was productivity increases in the US. So I went about going to China and it was successful. Uh, build a lot of great people relationships, a lot of other great relationships. And so we became a leader in terms of direct investment, coming into our state, creating jobs for Michiganders. And to go to Gary's point, we also sold a lot of great agricultural products to China. Uh, One of the other things is, is we've got fabulous universities here. And we had a lot of Chinese students going to our institutions and still do. But one of the things I would mention on the higher ed side is the big drop in higher ed that we've seen. Uh, Just picking two of our biggest institutions, which would be University of Michigan and Michigan State University. Uh, In the fall of 2018, we had over 7,000 Chinese students just at those two institutions. By fall of 2020, this last year, that number had dropped below 6,000. It had dropped 16% in the course of two years. Um, That's scary, folks. In terms of what it can do to our educational institutions in terms of their ability to survive to keep going during this difficult time Uh, because again they tend to be the best paying students the other thing is is the whole academic environment Um, there was a there has been a need to do more to look for challenges in our educational system on the research side and there's been a crackdown on the chinese researchers which is not a good thing in many respects. I mean, some of it is important to national security. So it's a careful balance that needs to be done there. And I think it's created an environment though that's created a, a negative environment more than a positive one. Uh, the other issue is we've actually seen it with Chinese students worried about what China's been doing with respect to how they've been handling students here. Uh, the anti-subversion laws in Hong Kong have actually had a negative effect on Chinese students wanting to be in our institutions here. They're afraid what they may say in a classroom may get back to China and create issues for their family. So both from a U.S. government side and a Chinese government side, uh, they've seen interests that cause them to do things in the academic environment that have made it more difficult to be a student coming into this country from China. Uh, And we need to work through those kind of issues and find a better environment for that. On the manufacturing front, um, obviously it's been a challenge with COVID and everything else. There's been a slowdown, but before that even happened, though, the tariffs had a negative impact um, in terms of making it difficult to do business between the two countries, which cost jobs on both sides. Um, One of the things that uh, really disturbed me was how the tariffs were actually applied. One of the tariffs, in fact, were on capital goods, where literally we had companies wanting to come set up businesses in Michigan, set up factories in Michigan to hire Michiganders, But they put tariffs on the capital equipment so it wasn't affordable to bring the equipment to our country. So it continued to be an import item to us instead of a manufactured American manufactured good. Um, We need to be smarter about how we do these things. Again, we all need to understand there are national interests, there are important security interests, there are intellectual property interests, but we need to be doing something other than broad brush strokes that create Um, unintended consequences that are very negative for Americans having jobs, Americans learning at educational institutions, and us learning from one another. Um, Because I think it's critically important, and I found this from my personal experiences, that it's not just about business, it's not just about jobs, but it's about people relationships and how we've done this in every area from cultural affairs to agricultural things to tourism to the great areas uh, my colleagues have talked about. Uh, We need to encourage it in all fronts, and I think one of the best ways to do it is at the subnational level. Uh, Federal governments will have their issues, but let's keep doing better things than what we've seen over the recent month or few months and last year or two because of COVID. As we come out of this and get vaccines, let's figure out how to work together and to do more because the more we do together, the safer the world's going to be.
1: Fabulous introductions, really. Those are terrific. Do you think – are you
0: reflective – the four of you, are you
1: reflective of all governors? Is this just a, you know, your job is not to worry as much about national security as the federal government? Uh, so Secretary Pompeo, and talking to the National Governors Association, um, you know, warned governors against doing too much with China. So are the four of you kind of reflective of kind of the 50 sitting governors? Um, and well, I guess first that question, whomever wants to answer that can do it.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll take a crack at it. I would say generally, yes. I think not across the board in every case, but two or three attributes of governors. And I love being a governor because of part of the part of us hanging out with all these guys and the peers that we had in those days is you fa- find that governors tend to be less partisan when it comes to running a state. You're responsible for running a state and you tend to get along with people better, you you know you're competing. I competed with these guys, too, but we had relationships. If you needed problems and help, you could talk to one another and you'd do things, and you'd also look at what's good for your state, which was to do business across the globe, and I think generally governors recognize that, and we would go out of our way, and many, many governors made trade missions to China. Not as many as some of us, but they made missions there. So what I would say is you probably have someone on the extreme of being probably much more proactive, but as a whole, I would say governors are much better about building relationships, particularly with China and other places, than a lot of the federal government side might be. I would agree
4: with that. Obviously, um, you know, we have to be uh, cognizant of the national security interest and and issues uh, raised by Washington, D.C., but... You know, we're not engaging in, in national security issues if you're just helping our farmers and our manufacturers sell their made-in-USA goods and products into China and, a rest, and the rest of the world. That's what governors are for. We're really supposed to be watching out for the welfare of our people in terms of jobs, education, a safety net, and uh, the more we can help our folks sell their stuff, uh, the more they're going to produce and the more jobs they're going to create. And and, and these are good-paying jobs. Um, so I, I think that uh, um, the governor is going to have to continue to do this uh, because China has enormous needs, whether it's feeding its people to cleaning up the environment to raising the standard of living uh, within the countryside. And so much of what we do and make and produce in America can help The Chinese people achieve those aspirations and those dreams that's a win-win and we can leave you know Beijing and DC to work out some of the um, security issues on their own and obviously we need to press China to improve their intellect protection of intellectual property and the rule of law Uh, but as many of my colleagues indicated the more that there's interaction between the two peoples the more uh, there's understanding uh, recognition and perhaps M- uh, more support for uh, human rights and democracy and and some of the freedoms and the liberties and the diversity that we embrace here in the united states and maybe some of that will hasten the development and the opening of china
3: ron you want to take on that or bob sorry no yeah go ahead go ahead, go
2: ahead.
3: yeah yeah steve when you strip uh, politics out of the u.s china relationship um you 're left with two great nations trying to figure out how to get along, how to trade, uh, how to solve tensions in the security realm, how to exchange people back and forth and there 's no more uh, 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 exciting a job when it comes to problem solving and trying to do good for your people than being governor uh, it 's pretty much stripped clear of politics, and what are you left with you 're left with a balance sheet that you 've got to make work you 've got entrepreneurs you 've got businesses you 've got You've got education bills, you've got healthcare bills, and every governor comes to find uh, when they look at their balance sheet that one of their greatest uh, trading partners, if not number one, uh, is China. And this came out of you know nowhere. So if I looked at. Utah's top trading partners over the last 20 years. 20 years ago, China would not have been anywhere in the top 10 or 20. Today, and I suspect every state is the same, it's in the top three, if not number one. So that naturally takes you to, you know, as you're trying to promote exports and economic activity in your state, which is a big thing that governors do. And you do that because you wanna pay the bills, you want your businesses to be prosperous. That naturally takes you to China, and that's why all of us here and probably most other governors have done trade missions to China. And an interesting thing happens, when you sit in China with provincial governors, you get out of Beijing, you get out of the politics of Beijing, which kind of has like the politics of Washington, you sit down and you talk to to provincial governors and you have a very uh, common conversation. You talk about healthcare, you talk about jobs, you talk about schools, and it's really interesting. And so this kind of gave rise to at least some of my early thinking about a subnational approach. So if we, can get, if we can get provincial governors and state governors together, free and clear of politics, just to try to figure out how best to make connections that really do serve the interest longer term of both countries, that's what we ought to be focused on. So leaving this in the hands of governors, uh, I think is a really important thing because it really does strip it free and clear of a lot of unnecessary politics.
2: Oh. Last year, before you know, COVID hit, we took a delegation of mayors from cities uh, to China, and none of them had ever been to China before in their life. Didn't know what to expect. In fact, they kind of indicated they sure didn't want the people to know that they were making a trip to China. Uh, mm-hmm. But we went. And to a person, every single one of them came back and said, "This is a whole different world uh, about China than we expected it to be." It's not that we agree with each other on all the issues, but at least it's the human aspect of it. Uh, when I was uh, after I left office, uh, myself and Kip Bond uh, made trips together to China. Matt Blunt is one of our strategic advisors, and Roy Blunt is a longtime friend of mine. We we're of different political parties. But as all the other governors have said, governors and people at the governor level and the mayor's level have to find solutions uh, to, be, to be successful. And so I think we all of us reach out much better at our level than sometimes they do at the national level. Yeah,
1: I went to the heartland, Bob, to, to Peoria, Illinois, at the request of Darren LaHood, um, and spoke there. And half the audience was soybean farmers and half were caterpillar folks. So um, at the end of it, a, a couple walked up to me and I said, and they were soybean farmers. I said, how's life? He said, it's difficult. We're not shipping, this is pre-COVID, we're not shipping our soybeans to China. They're sitting in a silo. I need to pay the interest on the, on the loan for the crop and I need to pay for the electricity to keep the fan going to keep the soybeans dry so they don't rot. And i said oh so what do you think of the tariffs and he and he said the chinese deserved it <laughs> yeah that that's, that's was,
4: part of a problem it was
1: quite, quite a statement i mean it really was was eye-opening clearly not in his economic interest but he felt the 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 uh, chinese deserved it so my question really is should governors both you and the sitting governors be advocating for an ending of the tariffs that were put in place since January 20th 2017. I
4: think the governors need to emphasize to all the policymakers in Washington D.C. first of all the impact, the economic impact of the tariffs on their companies and on their consumers. Uh and and hope that the administration uh the incoming administration will devise a a, a more effective strategy to uh, combat and address uh, the very real, very serious uh, economic and trade policies that China uh, has been engaging in that are contrary to their commitments uh, in terms of the international trading system and their accession to the WTO. Obviously, the United States companies uh, and our government have deep concerns about the unfair trade and economic policies of China. But the trade war uh, is, I think, the wrong way to approach it. And uh, we need to be working with our allies and, and countries uh, that all around the world who have similar concerns with China's uh, uh, policies. Uh, but uh, our allies and their companies are actually benefiting from the trade war because they're not seeing tariffs on their products, which makes that German that yep. Canadian widget, Canadian widget, much cheaper in comparison to the American widget when we're trying to sell that into China.
1: Right, we're we're effectively creating trade diversion, so the China's getting the goods; they're just getting them from somebody else at a cheaper price. So that's clearly, clearly right. Others think that we should call for a rollback and ask sitting governors to do that. And the second part of that question is: Does Chi- did China ever play in a governor's in your governor's election in your election as governor?
2: Not that I'm aware of, uh, and. <laughs> And I I didn't, you know, seek that support. But I mean, I I think that we need to roll back uh, the tariffs because what most people don't fully understand is when they buy our product, it not only helps say the soybean uh, uh, provider, but it also puts money into our schools. It puts money into our infrastructure. It puts money into our technology. It puts money in all aspects of our economy uh, because of uh, their participation. Steve, I, I think that uh, I think that
3: governors can play a, an important role when it comes to uh, informing Washington policymakers about economic impact uh, on their state and, and on the region. Oftentimes, governors are closer, uh, which is interesting because governors really don't have a foreign policy portfolio to speak of. I mean, that really constitutionally is a federal uh, federal prerogative. Um, but I think we we have an important role to play when it comes to keeping members of Congress briefed on what their choices uh, and decisions are having, the impact at a local level. I think that, that, is, a, that, that is absolutely correct. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's also true that, um, that governors, uh, as they work with, uh, with provincial governors, um, not only are you getting to know each other, not only are you learning more about uh, the other culture and how other communities function, but they're also learning a lot about advancements that we have made. For example intellectual property protection came up uh, a a moment ago and you know that's probably the most pernicious issue we have in our uh in our in our trading discussions right now um and one that's really going to have to be dealt with over time and i'm convinced it won't be until uh local chinese entrepreneurs feel they have a stake in the outcome that they'll put pressure of their own on uh, um on on chinese decision makers but as governor i found i'd be interested in hearing from my colleagues that intellectual property protection, particularly in a state like Utah, where there's a heavy technology base, really was the foremost concern. I mean, tariffs are absolutely there. Tariffs uh, 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 on a standalone basis are not a long-term solution. They have to be part of a larger trade strategy. Um, But intellectual property theft really has been, I think, the greatest concern among entrepreneurs and certainly the tech sector in our state. And this is one where interaction between states and provinces and the kind of pressure that provinces can put on the central government ultimately I think is going to be uh, an important part of fixing it. But I think this remains uh, really one of the biggest trade issues to, that we have between us and not an easy one to fix.
0: Yeah, just to reinforce a number of the comments that have already been made, I think it's appropriate that a lot of the tariffs get rolled back. I'm not sure they achieved the objective that people thought they had had Were intended to do to begin with as a practical matter. It was much like taking a shotgun to deal with approaches you need a rifle for, which is to deal with the issues that um, Governor Huntsman just talked about in particular, intellectual property protection. Um, When you talk about all these things, you have to acknowledge there are real issues that we need to solve with China. We need to, to have better intellectual property protection. We need to have a better investment environment in terms of a fair level playing field there. The tariffs themselves, didn't help solve those problems. Um, We were already getting companies setting up in the US because it was economic rational to be here instead of being in China from a competition point of view in a global marketplace. Um, The agricultural items, all we did was hurt American farmers and American consumers. So it's really figuring out how do we put policies in place to address the problems rather than saying, throw a broad brush approach at something saying, well, this will help get them to the table to solve it. Well, we created a lot of other issues that weren't really central to the the issue that we need to deal with the most.
1: Should governors, that raised the question, should governors be advocating a bilateral investment treaty between the United States and China? We're kind of job-creating investments, not fixed investments in the national security area, but investments in Michigan and Ohio and in a lot of the kind of Rust Belt areas uh, would be enhanced.
0: Well, I, I'm not sure it'd just be bilateral. I mean, that's the case where we actually pulled out of some negotiations to do things with all of Asia. Because again, I think one of the strengths that America should always be emphasizing is, is we don't need to be on our own. We should actually be trying to figure out how to broaden the base of allies we're working with and to do things in a collaborative fashion. Um, I think that's where leadership really comes in. And I think it's going back to the original point about how governors can do that. Look at the pool that our country's drawn on to find ambassadors to China. It's governors like these two great guys we got here and we've had a couple others do that job. So it's pretty cool to see... uh, The need to do that, but I would encourage more multinational work as much as bilateral work. Yeah,
1: this one's kind of for Gary. I guess you, the, you know, I think it's clear to people, you know, in the states that investment creates jobs. It's clear that exports create jobs. It's less clear for some companies like Starbucks or in my neighborhood by the financial services uh, sector where there's a lot of disbelief that China's opening in this sector, allowing how many thousands of Starbucks are there now in China? Does that create jobs in Seattle? How does that affect kind of the state of Washington?
4: Well, certainly it it creates jobs. It may not create, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of barista jobs uh, uh, in the state of Washington or the Seattle headquarters for Starbucks because all those baristas are in China. Uh, but the design of those stores, uh, the management—that's uh, still all creating. Anytime you're building a huge multinational company like Starbucks, or whether it's, you know, a Ford Motor Company, or, or um, you know, a, a huge pork-producing uh, facility, um, agricultural uh, a firm, you're creating jobs at the headquarters. You're creating uh, all the people in the management and the financial services and all the accounting and, and and. Um, Uh, related uh, support uh, functions in law and finance and everything else. So it does create jobs. It does create jobs. I mean, the more that our American companies can grow and sell their stuff and do business around the world, you're going to have more people here at the headquarters in America supervising, strategizing, designing, um, marketing, and and things like that.
1: So that creates jobs. It creates jobs. I don't mean to focus on Gary, but since you are the Chinese-American uh, governor on this call, uh, talk about how our China policy has kind of um, reinfor- reinforced kind of an, uh, uh, an increasing racism in the United States, and talk about what governors should be doing at the state level to combat that racism.
4: You know, I, I may be a Chinese-American in terms of heritage, but I actually think John Huntsman is perhaps in many ways, (laughs) uh, more Chinese than I am being, because he's lived in China so many, in in Asia for so many years and speaks fluent Mandarin. And I actually speak kind of the, grew up on kind of the peasant dialogue, uh, dialects of of China and Southern China. Uh, Let me just say that that is one of the disconcerting and troubling aspects. Uh, I think for any person concerned about civil rights and civil liberties and, and just human progress in America, uh you know we we started in the in the 1800s or the mid 1800s starting with the uh california gold rush we had uh, large immigrant groups uh, coming from china and then the laborers who uh, actually completed the transcontinental railroad when it was stuck outside the mountains of california it was the laborers from china with their knowledge of dynamite and explosives that, that really rescued uh that uh, huge uh project um but um you know, there's, there's been uh, a lot of hostility toward Chinese-Americans or Chinese, whether the Chinese Exclusion Act and later on laws that prohibited foreigners uh, pri- aimed primarily at Japanese and, and Chinese from owning land in the United States and certainly uh, on the West Coast uh, to the internment of the Japanese during World War II, even though their sons uh, uh, jo- volunteered and became uh, the most famed uh, decorated military unit in U.S. history, the 442nd Regimental Combat Team right now we're seeing a backsliding in which all things chinese are almost viewed as suspect chinese students are suspect chinese researchers are suspect as governor snyder indicated Um, chinese companies are 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 suspect uh, whether it's in social media to uh, even uh, uh, the assembly of subway cars or buses Uh, you know there's not much high-tech Uh, in in a bus but um, I mean I I don't know but people are afraid that buses made by a Chinese company even though assembled in the United States with Union American workers are somehow gonna spy on Americans uh, and and the list goes on and on and we've seen of course uh, um, rhetoric uh, from the administration saying this is the China virus the kung flu virus the Wuhan virus and that's really discouraging because we're seeing acts of violence Uh, and harassment toward not just chinese americans but all asian americans Uh, and that's most unfortunate we really need and i think that's where the the governors can play a role to stand up and say hey you know we may have very specific and legitimate concerns about the the policies coming from the chinese government but let's not tar all chinese people with the same brush Uh, we need we need leadership um, moral leadership And I want to say that when George W. Bush was president right after the attack on the September 11th attack against the United States in a cabinet meeting, he very forcefully said to the cabinet that we need to make sure that what happened to the Japanese Americans during World War II is not repeated uh, in the aftermath of September 11th attack, that we cannot tar and feather all Muslim Americans uh, for the acts of a few. uh, And the way that we tarred and feathered uh, and um, incarcerated all Japanese Americans, at least on the West Coast, um, for what happened in World War II. You,
1: you put in place, as you mentioned in your opening remarks the remarks, this phenomenal K to 12 Chinese education uh, program in the Utah schools. Um, every report, whether it's the report from policy planning in the State Department to the House Intelligence Committee, says we need more Chinese speakers in the United States, period. We need more people who understand China better, not only in the State Department, but in Commerce, Treasury, Homeland Security, defense, you name it. Why has that initiative not been picked up by other states, or has it? And I'm just not aware of it.
3: You know, I haven't followed, Steve, the extent to which he's been picked up by others, but I suspect there, you know, every state will have uh, local politics to some extent that will make it difficult, particularly when it's Chinese language in today's uh, cha- challenging environment. But, but for me, I, I saw it as, how do you best prepare the next generation of, of young kids to perform on the world stage? Because um, it doesn't matter whether they get into business or they're academics or in the legal field or whatever it might be, they're going to encounter... Um, uh, some aspect of, uh, of China uh, in whatever it is they do. You, you just can't have the United States and China on the world stage as you look at the decades to come without uh, coming to the conclusion that we're going to run into each other. And there will be challenges stemming from that. There'll be huge opportunities as well. So what better way to equip young people to prepare for their future than giving them the gift of a language, which you yeah, know, they may be conversant after, you know, they finish high school. Uh, that's not as important as the fact that it's through language study that they're able to, it's a lens through which they can view culture and better understand somebody else who they've never met. So we had kids, you know, it didn't matter whether they were urban or rural, rich or poor, black and white, black or white, they would line up to sign up for these language classes starting a decade ago Mostly because the parents saw the value in giving their young kids the added advantage of a strategically important language. And it, to my mind, it was one of the better investments we made uh, on the public education side. Uh, and and I, I explained it to the people of, of my state by simply saying, Isn't knowledge of a language better than not having a knowledge of a language? And when these kids encounter their peers in China, Most of them will be pretty fluent in English. So why should we want to put ourselves at a strategic disadvantage by by not uh, exposing ourselves? So I I just think it's, it's, we sometimes, we feel the presence of the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. These are the most impenetrable barriers any country has. And because of that, we don't have to venture out and and learn new languages. But the reality is that the decades ahead are going to see the United States and China come face-to-face on a number of fronts, and the next generation will be so much better off in terms of their understanding and ability to communicate and reason with a country that uh, we're going to have to forge some sort of meaningful relationship with, even during very difficult times, such as today.
1: We have literally dozens of questions that have come in from the audience, so let me start getting to them. But before that, while I go through them, let me get to what John has suggested. What should... The subnational level be doing? What should the governors of the 50 states be proposing um, with respect to China policy? Rick, you want to start with that? or You need to unmute, though.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we need to get started again, because, again, I think we, we've reached a low point with this pandemic and the tariffs and everything else. I think we do have a new federal administration coming, so there's an opportunity to take a fresh start looking at these things and to build on positive relationships. So one of the things I tell people when they ask me about China is we don't tell enough of the positive stories about Chinese investment in the U.S., Chinese educational opportunities, the cultural exchanges. We tend to hear all the negatives. So one of the things from a subnational level is I think it would be great if we'd find more ways to talk about the success stories the, the Chinese company here that now employs several hundred um, Michiganders or Utahns or people in Washington and the livelihoods that are being created and how they're being positive, you know, community members in terms of doing good things. And you just start building back that way. Um, Because it's hard for people, when you just talk about theory, it's easy to find people you dislike. When you actually engage real people and make it about personal relationships and positive success stories, that's where you can start overcoming um, a very negative bias, which I think we're going to have to deal with for some time.
4: Harry, Uh, I think uh, the the governors have to take the lead, uh, reestablishing trade missions, uh, trying to help our companies sell their great made in USA and produced uh, goods and services to China. Um, We need to continue to welcome uh, the establishment of Chinese companies in the United States hiring our local people. And I hope that the incoming administration will focus on some uh, projects uh, of collaboration just uh, whether it's in uh, cancer research or climate change, uh, clean energy, uh, we need some uh, positive uh, partnerships. uh, uh, Some partnerships in areas that will send that will help us reset the relationship.
2: Steve, one of the things that we could do is help link all of our elementary and secondary school students with elementary and secondary school students in China so that they start learning the the different cultures and the language and everything else as they grow up because our chance of convincing somebody that's 60, 70 years old to change their mind is going to be more difficult than open the opportunity for a young person to, to learn about another culture.
1: John, you had a few, you said you had a couple of suggestions you were holding back on. Now is the time.
2: Well,
3: you know, I, I just can't uh, overemphasize enough the importance of uh, subnational dialogue because where we have common ground uh, between the United States and China isn't always Washington and Beijing, as we have seen in recent years, zero common ground, zero ability to carry on any meaningful strategic dialogue. Where we have common ground is at the local level. And again, you get mayors together, you get governors together, they speak the same language. They're trying to find solutions uh, and practical approaches for the same things. So if we're imagining how we can hold together this most important relationship, the most important in the world, and it will be for some time to come, it really is going to be incumbent on local officials and leaders to forge the kinds of ties organized by your group or maybe others that I think will do a couple of things. One, one, it will impart practical solutions uh, from one country to another, where people have found new ways of doing things in education or healthcare or how to you know, h- how to manage big, complicated cities and municipalities. But second, I think it will also forge the kind of lasting relationship and bond that we're going to need country to country that is based on real substance and real interaction and dialogue. It, it's way too ephemeral uh, and and iffy at the national level because we just haven't found common cause or issues that we can begin to build any kind of meaningful dialogue. Around. So subnational you know, is really, I think, where the action is gonna be going forward. And if everyone isn't convinced after listening to my colleagues here in terms of what they've been able to do on education, agriculture, trade, and so many other fronts, this is where we can be most productive, no question about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's leading me to, you know, I think one of the most moving experiences I ever had in my life, not only as president of the national committee, was going to an opening of, a, of an automotive plate glass company in Dayton, Ohio three miles from where my brother lived and it have it, they took over an abandoned general motors facility they put 2500 americans to work and this thing was called fuyao glass and i went there and governor kasich was there and senator brown was there and congressman turner it was this bipartisan support for what was this community recreation i saw the community which my brother which I'd seen through his eyes just deteriorate as it got hollowed out over, hollowed out over 30 years to to kind of being reborn. It was such a deeply moving experience, and the Chinese uh, founder was was not even a high school graduate, um, and that he had done this. It was, you know, you kind of say, God, if that story could be replicated 50 times or 500 times, it really would would make a difference, because certainly the people around Dayton understood uh, what was what was going on. I know people were thinking of, of uh, you know, a Trans-Pacific Partnership, as opposed to a bilateral tra- a bilateral investment agreement, but somehow politically, a bilateral investment agreement may be, may be a little easier than than, than TPP. Um, some audience questions. One from um, from Mark Cohen at uh, University of California and, and at Berkeley. Um, do you think, you know, you guys have done a lot of, you've all done trade missions, and this may be particularly good for Gary. Uh, do you find our State Department supports our our foreign commercial service supports these trade missions sufficiently or is there more that should be done
4: i think that uh, both commerce department and state department very much support the trade missions they have economic units uh, certainly within the state department and and the uh, both the embassies and the consulates in china will support delegations coming over from the united states and helping arrange the visits uh, the potential customers for washington state or any of the uh, companies and members of the delegations on any of these state visits. So they're very, very supportive. And we need to, in fact, any state and any trade organization or industrial sector of a state should uh, insist that their governor's offices rely on and take advantage of the resources offered by the Commerce Department and the State Department in helping uh, schedule these uh, visits, but also to find potential customers uh, and potential trading partners
3: for our uh, US companies and entities? You know, Steve, I, I think they, they, they do a, a very much inadequate job. Uh, larger corporations take advantage of them because they know how to use them better. The smaller companies and entrepreneurs probably are, are left out uh, a little bit. But what concerns me is when we start uh, revoking visas and shutting down consulates. It just restricts and reduces our reach. Uh, and I'm not just talking about diplomats. I'm talking about the business community. Because China's a complicated market, and generally, uh, businesses going in, they like to learn all they can. They like to consult with the uh, Commerce Department staff, with the embassies and others. And and, and that's uh, a good thing to do. What I think we're going to see, uh, and we've seen this already, and, and Governor Snyder and others probably have uh, probably set the standard on this, is, is opening state trade offices. So states are becoming a lot more active on their own, almost creating their own trade promotion facility um, and uh, staff that really does help local businesses, which, which I think is a good thing, and we're probably going to see a lot more of that just given the, the size and complexity of the U.S.-China commercial relationship.
0: Yeah, Steve, the the part I would add is is I found them to be very helpful in terms of the embassy people, both from Commerce and State, when we were on our trade missions. Uh, They were proactive, and I found it good intelligence. They would want to give us briefings, and to go to John's point, they would also, we would be taking delegations of smaller companies along with us uh, to get them introduced, and so we'd build that tie. Uh, The part I always thought was kind of interesting is, is... I never saw the State Department or the Commerce Department really on those things when it was back in Michigan. Uh, they were very good when we were in the, the China or whatever country, but they didn't have any real engagement coming back the other direction. Which some ways you could argue they were spread thin, but you'd think that would also be an opportunity to have a touch point of a positive one. But they they were largely absent from all that process, um, and in fact to go to. John's point, we have trade relationships and representatives in China and a number of other countries, but we set up a a thing in Michigan. We set up the U.S.-China Innovation Center in Michigan to be a welcome center for all um, Chinese activities within our state, and we are one of the very few states that actually made that investment, and we set it up in a fashion so it was quasi-governmental and would last between administrations, and it's been a big help
1: I assume everyone on this call would support the reciprocal reopening of the consulates in, in Houston and in Chengdu, Any an, an expansion of, of kind of foreign commercial service representation, not only at the embassy in Beijing, but throughout China. Do I hear any dissent? No, I didn't, think so. I didn't expect any. Um, Let's go back a lot of questions have come in about Secretary Pompeo's speech at the National Governor's Association did your were your successful successors affected by that speech did it did it um, change the way they were thinking about doing um, business with China that comes from Mike Billington and Robert Wesser
4: not affect our governor our, we, we know uh, how important trade with China is in those relationships. China is our number one export destination, at least up until the, uh, uh, the tariff war and or uh, the trade war. So uh, we know how important uh, trade with China and relations with China are uh,
1: to our economic success. A question from Chris Merck, which requires us to speculate on the President-elect Biden. Um, he has said he will move slowly and deliberately uh, with respect to China,
3: how should he start that process? You know, Gary probably has as good a feel as anybody on this one, but let me just say, if you're starting uh, a new relationship um, out of kind of a tattered past, you kind of got to look at your downside risk. You know, where are you most exposed? Let's just start with the basics before we build up the the commercial and trade stuff, and that would be an unintended incident that were to happen uh, in the air. ICs between our militaries uh, without a proper de-escalation strategy. So once things escalate, as we saw with an incident uh, roughly 20 years ago, it's really hard to put things back together again, even with hotlines and all of that. They, just, they sometimes don't work as they should. So the first order of business really is, how do we limit risk between the two of us and come up with some sort of proper communication protocol if, heaven forbid, there was an incident that had to be addressed? Um, that if I were going in as uh, as as president elect Biden, it seems to me that would be the first order of business just just to make sure that that risk is properly addressed and dealt with
4: I think uh, also uh, um, it 's very important for the incoming administration to uh, form alliances with our with our allies around the world who also have concerns about china policy and uh, and uh, really start thinking about a more unified uh, approach, multilateral approach, uh, instead of a unilateral approach. Because the, you know, all of our allies, while they were uh, urging us on and hoping we might win uh, in this trade war, at least in terms of achieving the objectives that we sought, uh, but they were not about to help us because they were actually benefiting from that trade war. Uh, so they were sitting on the sidelines benefiting, but uh, hoping, rooting for us. We need to actually have them actively engaged
1: an interesting i guess i need to ask this john because it's it's for you and it's from bob cap and like you and me and bob we're the parents of uh, adopted children from china as the relationship tanks what are your thoughts on the impact of this darkening relationship on these adopted kids, some of whom are fully adults by now. And I guess I would add to that, is there some positive kind of role that they could play?
3: Well, they can be, and and Bob is terrific. I've learned so much from Bob over the years uh, in in a number of different areas. But, you know, I always talk to our daughter, Grace, you know, who who is very mindful of the environment in which she's living. She's now a college uh, junior and very, very thoughtful and mindful of this tightening environment and the way that she is looked at and viewed. Um, We've always taught her that she's a cultural bridge and she should work as a cultural bridge. She should bring greater understanding to people. Uh, She should not forsake her her home culture uh, that gave her life um, but rather seek to understand it and help um, Americans to, to better understand it as well. The great, the great secret sauce in the United States, and, and Gary Locke is, and his family are a great example of this, is you know, our ability as a country to assimilate diversity, to make it work, and for everyone to pull together around a common American theme. Um, and, and that's where, you know, from time to time, we seem to find ourselves in a really tricky situation based on international tensions. And right now, China is a focal point and uh, I have conversation after conversation with my daughter about what it means. I think that helps. I think bringing greater awareness to young kids who have been adopted from China uh, is important, but also stressing with them the, the helpful role that they can play through it all.
1: Yeah. Um, anybody on the call aware of kind of what's happening to Foxconn's um, investment in um, Wisconsin? <laughs> That has kind of looked like it was going ahead now may not be going ahead anybody following
0: that oh well, it appears it's just behind what the expectations are i'm not sure what to what degree but uh it's not on the uh, path that was originally presented yeah
1: and, and it raises the whole question of kind of providing states providing enormous tax credits for foreign investment and competing with other states should there be a policy that kind of um, makes that you know one could argue that if you're giving a huge tax credit the people of your state even though you're measuring it and saying well it's benefiting enough to justify that tax credit but then you're competing with your neighbor next door is that good policy or not
0: yeah well i i was always on my soapbox on this one Uh, we actually competed for foxconn uh, to go to your comments, Steve, I uh, know the chairman of Fuyo Glass because I talked to him about coming to Michigan, um, and they had that GM facility. I didn't have a ready-made facility for him to move into. Otherwise, I think we would have gotten him here. Um, what I always tell people he, on He tax says the suppliers are in Michigan, though, so you guys did get a benefit. <laughs> is uh, I think tax credits are relatively insane. Um, and I think it's a bigger problem with uh, U.S. governments than it is with any foreign government. Uh, to compete on that basis, it, it's just one of those realities. And when people say you should have a policy, well, you got 50 states. People, someone's always going to come up to say how they can offer a better deal. So it's a very difficult thing to deal with in some contexts. Short of a, you know, something in the Internal Revenue Code to make it so it doesn't have value. Um, I just, I always present it to, I've never tried to get people to come to our state solely based on tax credits. It's about the environment, the culture, the place to work, um, and how they can be successful long-term. Yeah. And tax credits do get misused, um, both in terms of how much is given out by governments and how some companies take them and fail to live up to their commitments. Uh, so it's just something that I always say buyer beware on both sides when you talk about tax credits.
4: We think these are issues that, that every governor has to wrestle with, and um, it depends on the sector, the industry. I mean, there are various parts of the United States that are more attractive, more conducive to certain types of, of industrial sectors than others. Um, but, um, you know, each governor is going to have to justify whatever tax incentives, investment incentives they provide to a company, whether it's a foreign company, whether it's BMW or, or um, you know, uh, uh, Grupp. Uh, uh, a german uh, company uh, setting up operations in a particular state to boeing you know the big competition among the states for where the boeing was going to build their 787 uh, to even a foreign company like uh, a chinese company wanting to locate in the united states each state each governor has to decide this on its own merits and whether or not it really pencils out uh and whether or not uh, you know from a united states standpoint it really doesn't matter i mean where where a company locates, whether it's in Mississippi versus Florida versus Washington state, the benefits are gonna to be to the United States in general. And, and so it becomes a, a, a competition among the different states as to where that industry might locate. And you gotta really figure out, is this really gonna take away dollars long term from social services, from education, uh, from healthcare uh, to, to even other industries. And um, so that's an individual decision.
1: Yeah. Let's, touch, let's touch a little more on education, because that's so critical at the state level. I mean, Governor Snyder's made re- made reference to the reductions at Michigan State, University of Michigan. I'm sure it's true at University of Missouri, University of Washington, and University of Utah. So what are the long-term implications of this, and what do we do to fix it? What, what can a governor—obviously, we'll call on President-elect Biden to fix visas, but is it fixable, or trust what's
3: broken is impossible to— to kind of restore. Well, once a decision like that is made, reversing a visa decision that Gary Locke and others worked so hard on, it becomes really difficult to put back in place. And I'll tell you why this should be a concern, because you won't find um, uh, a Chinese student who has spent time in the United States without it having impacted them, uh, without them caring forever what they learned, who they met, uh, better understanding the United States. So this isn't just a master's or a PhD. This is a, a deeper understanding of the United States and its people. Um, I mean, it, I look at the senior ranks of Chinese leadership right now, and I can I can tell you those few who had exposure to the United States, undergraduate and graduate. In fact, there's one who really leads most of their economic uh, policy discussions, who was both undergraduate and graduate in the United States, and it, it, it's enormously beneficial in helping to understand. A system that, to most outside observers here in the United States, is very complicated. Uh, Chinese leaders don't don't have um, a profoundly deep understanding of how our, our system works. But those who have taken the time to, to go to school here, be educated here, they have a huge advantage, and it works both ways. And so so do Americans who, who have been to school in in China. So we are by by narrowing the gap on uh, on visas by by making it more exclusionary and more difficult to travel back and forth, we're just doing ourselves enormous long-term damage uh, where we could be reaping the the longer-term, deeper understanding of those who were able to take advantage of such programs.
1: Gary, did you want to comment? And then I'll go to my final question. Well, it's, you know, encouraging more
4: visitors to each other's countries is in both of our political and economic uh, self-interest. I mean, Tony Blair said many years ago that diplomacy first starts with people-to-people exchange. And the more Chinese are exposed to American democracy, our diversity, um, our history, our culture, uh, um, and especially our freedoms, um, you know, certainly we have problems, but at least we openly admit those. and and confront them and try to address them compared to many other countries. But the more that the Chinese and especially the students can see how America operates and understand the secret sauce of our success, that entrepreneurialism, that uh, rule of law uh, and and, uh, uh, constant innovation uh, and protection of intellectual property, the more they're gonna want that in their own countries. Um, And uh, so I I really think that uh, we need, we need to encourage more of that exchange. And certainly those international students as, as um, Governor Snyder was indicated, I mean, they actually help subsidize the cost of education for our in-state students, because those international students actually pay more than the actual cost by and large, than the actual cost of education. So they're helping subsidize the education for our in-state students, because legislatures have been actually cutting back on funding for uh, for all of uh, our public education and raising tuition and so the more that we can get outside dollars in uh, the more we're able to keep uh, college more affordable for our in-state students
2: yeah the, i i had a student when i taught at uh, webster university and at the end of the year i'd always let him talk after i turned in their grades and she was from china uh and she got up and she said governor I will not go back to China, the same person that came to America. Now, what better foreign policy uh, promotion could you have than that opportunity? And I've worked for years with the American Legion, Boy State and Girl State program, and we brought some Chinese students at high school student level coming over and participating. One year, one of those young ladies happened to get elected governor of Missouri Girl State. And then they found out she wasn't an American citizen. Uh, so the thing is, building this collaborative relationship uh, between cultures at a young age benefits all of us.
1: Last question is is about you know,
2: President-elect Biden
1: has talked about a values-led foreign policy, values-based foreign policy. Uh, governors obviously are trying to create employment in their in their states and want to expand business ties with China and build bridges. The Chinese government is, you know, over the last few years engaged in uh, we've already heard Governor Snyder refer to the national security law in Hong Kong. You know, we've seen really incredible crackdowns in Xinjiang. Uh, We've seen increasing tightening vis-a-vis Tibet, vis-a-vis dissidents in China, vis-a-vis the lawyers uh, for the dissidents in China. How should a governor think about kind of that aspect of China versus the job creation aspect of China
3: in their home state. I'd end with a tough one. Yeah, I I would say, Steve, that uh, governors carry American values wherever they go. It doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. I mean, you carry uh, the values of freedom and liberty, openness, transparency. Uh, all our First Amendment rights are on full display, you know, when when a governor is around, because you are kind of the 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 the, the walking embodiment of uh, of, uh, of the American system. So I think uh, I I think that is helpful. Washington has a role to play, obviously, and they're going to have to deal with some of the thornier issues. But I really do, again, getting back to the subnational uh, idea uh, that kind of gave rise to all of this. So much of what we do uh, in our system, so much of how we raise and educate our next generation, so much of our free market uh, innovation is based on freedom. Uh, And uh, it's on display at the state level, it's on display at the local level in ways that really does speak for itself. So why is it that China has tried to replicate so much of what we have done here, uh, whether it's research universities, whether it's other aspects of economic uh, and technology development, because they have seen models at work. So our values are gonna be um, um, uh, in, 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 in contention. We're gonna see the world differently. We're not gonna be able to solve a lot of our problems, nor should we expect to. But uh, leaders at the local level, particularly uh, governors, they, they really do in all that they, all that they do uh, as governor um carry within the values of the united states
4: certainly the governors can't ignore um the concerns that uh, we as americans have about some of the human rights and uh, issues occurring within china or how china treats its people Um, we we have to acknowledge it we can't turn away from it Um, but at the same time we can talk about how we in america try to address these issues Uh, just as john was saying um, um china tries to, is trying to emulate so much of uh, of what we do in america and i think that the more that whether it's students whether it's business uh, visitors uh or government uh, government officials from china that might be here on a trade mission looking at it for investment opportunities where they might be able to locate a factory or set up shop here in the united states uh, during those interactions with our local and state officials they can We should have those discussions about how we are trying to address some of these very same issues, uh, and how we openly confront them, uh, how we try to learn from our mistakes, and how we're always trying to move forward. That's a huge contrast to what occurs in China, where everything is swept under the rug, where ethnic minorities really have little chance of uh, reaching high positions in government or business uh or academia in in china uh and and how women uh very few women are in high roles in china so we have much to be proud of and and even though we have problems um we should be proud of how we have tried to address them and how much we have how much progress we have made on so many of these issues and that can actually stand out in contrast to the way that china has approached it so we shouldn't shirk uh, away from these tough issues and we can openly admit that uh, we have similar issues, uh, but we're trying to deal with it in a very transparent uh, way and trying to move forward.
0: Rick? i just reinforce that. It's important on any of these issues that we have to acknowledge differences that we have or things that are important to us. Just like I talked about intellectual property earlier and the trade things, that human rights are something that represents America. So you can't just assume it's all Pollyanna. It's important to put the issues on the table, but then say, how do we constructively keep moving forward in areas we can? Why, at the same time, trying to increase understanding and the need to um, address some of these kind of things? Because these are tough issues that um, they have a fundamentally different perspective on than we do. And some of them we do have to work through, some will work out more naturally, but the civil rights issue is a huge one that I think we're going to have to continue to have dialogue on it and figure out how to strike that right balance, uh, as opposed to just simply pushing them away and closing the door. How do you keep the door open? How do you keep growing together and learning from one another so our point can be received in a more constructive way?
2: Um, The more open we are, the better we are the better the better situation gives us the opportunity to truly influence and change attitudes you can't force it but what you can do is open the door so people can see a better way to approach it and i think that's the best way we can deal with china and the rest of the world
1: the uh, i have i think i've run way over which is unlike what the national committee uh, generally does but that's cuz i was absolutely entranced in this in this conversation you know People always are calling me these days and saying your life is really difficult because U.S.-China relations are so difficult, and it must at times be depressing. And the truth of that is, it is difficult, and at times it is depressing. But when I have a meeting like this, when I talk to four incredible public servants like who have been represented on this call, um, I'm fond of saying, you know, my heart soars like an eagle, and. But it's really, it's so impressive. You guys have been terrific. Um, I think this has been a wonderful, informative program. Um, I'm happy that you've been governors, and I hope that you continue to play a role, not only in your state, but at the national level, because your your, your thoughts and your views are so incredibly valuable. But thank you for giving so generously of your time, um, and thank... Bob, for helping put the, Governor Holden, for helping put this together with the the U.S.-China Heartland Association.
0: For more interviews, videos, and links to events like this one, visit us at www.ncuscr.org.